there. Welcome to the From Lab to Launch podcast by Qualio, where we share inspiring stories from the people on the front lines of life sciences. Tune in and leave inspired to bring your life-saving products to the world. Now let's get started with Robert, Qualio founder and CEO, and our show host. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's show. I'm Grant, and I help produce this podcast. Just a quick note before we dive in here. It's been amazing to see the listeners across the world. Today's guest is from Australia, where we're seeing a booming life science community, and a lot of our listeners come from there. So I think you'll really like this episode. Today's show, we talked with Rob Crowder, the head of product at Neutromics. Neutromics is a medical device company with a hardware and software component that includes a wearable microneedle biosensor and a software companion to that. The Neutromics vision is a world with zero preventable deaths due to a lack of timely biological patient data. And in this episode, you'll hear how Rob approaches the challenges of developing the hardware and software products of their medical device, how to have the right mindset as a product leader to balance quality and product development velocity. And who knows, maybe one day we will all be wearing biosensors and have real-time data from our molecular level information superhighway, as Rob calls it. But let's get into this episode. I really appreciate you stopping by for a chat and conversation today. Um, incredible, interesting story, and you bring a ton of experience across hmm. uh, you know, different roles. So what I was hoping to do today is really just kick off with um, Neutronics, and maybe you can tell us a bit about you know, the, the biosensor platform, how you, what you folks do, how it helps the world. And, and after that, I'd love to kind of dig into a bit of your background and story as to how you got there and, and any hmm. lessons learned. Yeah, happy to talk about it. Yeah. So Neutromics, we're a healthcare technology company. We've been going for about three years now. We've been focused on biosensing. And essentially what we've built is a way to access new information in the human body. So we're using microneedle patches to access interstitial fluid. And it's a compartment in the body that contains, it's basically an information superhighway. It contains Mm -hmm. a bunch of information at a molecular level, which can be really useful. And it's not something that's been accessed before. Typically, it's blood that clinicians use to gain insights into how your body is behaving in particular situations. So we feel there's a real opportunity to just change the paradigm of healthcare by making it really easy and really timely to make good decisions when it's needed at the right time with new information that's Mm -hmm. never been seen before. So I guess a typical example, and over the years, many people will be familiar with this one, would be um, constant glucose monitors for diabetics. So that's a small little patch you can wear that monitors one thing, glucose, and it can help you control your food intake for, say, people with pre-diabetes. And obviously, for people with diabetes, it's it's crucial for them to control their insulin levels. Similar paradigm for us. There's tons of targets that we can look at that can change the way that people look after themselves and clinicians treat people. And this is applications outside of some of those like clinical indications too, right? There's this wave of quantified self. And I know that, yes, continuous glucose monitoring, but there is within that community, a uh, people are starting to like have like ports where they can experiment with different, uh, reading their biomarkers over time. Is, is this, that's kind of, it's all related, but just not an, an indication you're interested in. I'm, I'm curious how you folks have looked at this. Yeah, it's a definite trend. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can see with the glucose monitors that there's companies like Levels and others out there that are growing really fast based on more consumers looking at the ability to use this new data to make different decisions about 
their health exercise regimes, lots of different things. So yeah, we absolutely see the trend of what our device can do is going to start in the hands of experts, clinicians who can make better informed decisions at the right time. But we absolutely see it moving towards a more intermediate step because of its remote nature. It's a wearable patch. You can talk to a phone. This can go anywhere. But then eventually the power of that information can sit with consumers, not just clinicians who are the experts, but consumers. They can start to understand this new information and make their own decisions for themselves. That's a long way in the future, I think. But we're not talking about any kind of new paradigm here. This has existed previously with wearables and with other types of technology. So we're just the next wave of that molecular monitoring and we're going to make that happen. Well, I'm I'm wearing, um, I guess, uh, a one-lead single lead ECG monitor uh, on my wrist right. with millions of other people, right? So it's becoming normalized. And I think I think this consumerization of healthcare is really exciting as, as a trend that's coinciding with this democratization of what it is to start a company in the broader healthcare life sciences arena. So I think all these trends are, are coalescing together to, to create opportunities like, like what you folks are, are doing. Now, the product itself I believe mm. has has two different parts, right? So there's a software component and a hardware component. Now, I'm yeah. going to say as a software company ourselves and knowing people in hardware companies, often people like in hardware companies, it brings its own challenge, but doing hardware and software is really common in the medical devices, diagnostics mm-hmm. arena. I can see mm. your face. So tell me, uh, talk to me <laughs> about, uh, let's, let's start with the bad news. Let's talk about some of the challenges in bringing this combination product to fruition. As the head of product, of course, you, you are well yeah. aware. Yeah, yeah. Well, product as a whole, there's obviously three elements. It has to be valuable and useful for the people that use it. It has to be successful commercially and make sense. And technically, it has to work. So we start with that premise. But then when you add into the mix that it's made up of a hardware part and a software part, generally the path of development for those two disparate elements do not play nicely together if we were to look at them in isolation. So with software, there's amazing tools now where you can do continuous testing, you know, agile development. All of those things have really matured into a way to develop software really quickly and make it powerful. But with hardware, it's more of a process-driven exercise. It has to be. It's a physical object where one change in it cascades into a bunch of other things, including the software that may need to change. So trying to balance the equation between the speed you could go at with the software versus the practical speed you can go at with the hardware, that's a challenge. And getting the planning right across that is hard. So I guess the way I've gone about it in the past really is to to use the, the product principles as the linchpin between it. So what are we actually aiming for? The, the specification, the needs we're trying to fulfill, the utility we want to get. I suppose in that role as, as product owner, that's what you have to maintain, the, the vision. And that can often help in the way you plan out the work that happens across hardware and software. And I think in life sciences particularly, you have to consider the system as a whole. So you have to consider that, okay, hardware and software do have to work together and they all have to sit under the umbrella of the design inputs the product needs to meet and the regulatory requirements that you also have to meet along the way. So for me, I used to see it as a horrible challenge, but yeah, actually I kind of... um. I kind of enjoy it now. I've got to be honest. Awesome. It is a unique thing because you have you have the different velocities that hardware and software typically move at natively. And you have this, you spoke about your inputs and this you know, unification of uh, this standardization of process and data and information. And one thing that we've seen mm. is that one of the challenges the industry has had as a result of bringing in this quality assurance 
focus is, of course, and the goal of quality being making sure products are safe, they're effective, they work consistently. It's the promise of quality that you folks make along that allows you to sell your products is that concept of this quality and velocity are acting as these opposing forces, right? That tends to be yeah, because you often, you know, often they they act against each other when in reality, being able to iterate quickly with really good data feedback loops, you know, that's how you build great products. How do you, how have you solved for that or how have you tackled that challenge? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I, I believe actually it's a matter of perception at the start mm. more than anything. I, I know that's kind of a high level answer. Um, I mean, there's, yeah, if you start with the perception, this is going to be hard and difficult because quality and speed do not go together, then that's not a great place to begin thinking about what you're doing. So I consider it differently. I think if we start with clarity, the purpose of what we're doing and why we're doing it, and we know what that is and we document it properly, we know at the point we want to start controlling our design inputs and overlaying quality. And we know at which point we can still play around with things, get the feasibility studies done, work through key risks and questions. I believe that it's actually quite straightforward to get quality and speed working together. It's a matter of timing more than anything. And working really hard at the outset on all the assumptions that you've got leading into the point at which you do want to start controlling things. And I don't think people focus on this enough. They have assumptions about how their product will work and why it will work and think they've got the answer and they don't break it down early on into core risks. And and again, that's where quality frameworks can help because there's loads of them about risk that you can use at the start to say, I have this assumption. I haven't got any evidence to support the fact I've mitigated it. So if you go into design with that, that's not going to end well and you are going to feel those opposing forces. So at start, I think, as an opportunity to just think differently, work hard. And then when you get to the point where you can put the quality framework over the top of it, it should be reasonably straightforward to get velocity happening together. That's my view anyway. <laughs> I think that that's really insightful because it's something that we see all the time when we speak to customers is particularly companies that have software components or companies that are looking to the future and the demands of these products is, and the speed matters, right? Velocity matters. And I think the past year yeah. of lockdowns and pandemics has been a great exercise and you can move quickly if you need to. And I think that's going to become the, the default expectation and a competitive advantage for companies that don't assume it's, yeah, we can move real slow. We got to move quickly and build great products. So I applaud you how you've just described that, Rob. Thinking about the biosensors themselves, I think smart patch biosensors might be like a way to talk about the category. Is that how you, how you would describe the product category or how would you describe it? Yeah, I think the word smart, we might want to replace at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um, Biosensors are the key, really. Yeah. That's the technology that's ha- that we want to harness and use. The fact that it's in a patch is just a way to access yeah. the compartment of interest. And there's two parts to the, the technology, really. There's micro needles, which allow us to painlessly or virtually painlessly enter that compartment. And then there's the sensor component that sits at the end of those micro needles that senses the various molecules we might, we might be interested in. So it's the marrying of those two technologies, really, and it would appear to be the most relevant format is a patch. And the word smart is in there just because the data can stream to a phone or the cloud Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. whatever we need it to, to then be processed by, you know, a lovely data lake somewhere. And we can produce new insights and whatever that dashboard might need to look like for a clinician for that particular indication. So yeah. It's an encompassing term, but um, yeah. that's generally I guess what we're becoming trying to do. Default. Everything is becoming connected now, right? Yeah. To the yeah. point, of maybe we don't even need to call that out as as uh, this 
as a differentiator. So you've spoken incredibly articulately about the challenges of this hardware software and this emerging field, really, that's that's still pretty mm. new, I think, in terms of being applied at scale. How did you mm. get into this, right? Because I looked at your background, you started off, you were in, in like PwC at the time, and you, you got into wearables and then into... This path into healthcare. Maybe you could tell that narrative because I, I I believe there's a lot of really great product people now who are probably looking at applying these product skills into the actual act of helping you know save and improve lives and treat disease. I think it's a noble cause. I'm curious to see how you got there. I think I've always been a product person, even before it was uh-huh. a term. I think I don't have a mode where I'm at home and I'm different and at work yeah. I'm different. I just think. Yeah. And I wanted to develop a wearable device for tennis because I was really into tennis at the time and I loved it. You know, a real real first world problem, let's be honest. You know, my forehand sucked. So I thought, why not make a device to make it better? (laughs) So I went down that journey. I mean, I have a physics background and I've always had a love of technology. And I think I was just looking at what was going on and particularly my game and realizing Mm. that there was a bunch of problems that other people people are experiencing too that I could help solve. So I built a device and I ran a Kickstarter campaign and did all those wonderful things that product people do to try and pull together a story that's compelling and convincing. And, you know, it made some headway with it and had some investor interest in things. But, you know, eventually I had to put my critical hat on as a product person, which you have to do, and say, does the world actually need this product right now? Is it the most burning issue out there that I could be solving? And it just never felt quite right. And at the time I was working at PwC as well. And whilst that job was good, there was always this nagging feeling that I could be applying my thinking and my skills in a field that really mattered. And I'd always wanted to be in healthcare. So I was working at a product development company called Procept. And that's where I got the chance to work with a bunch of companies who were developing really incredible novel devices in healthcare and other spaces. And it really lit the fire for me for wanting to do this. And Neutromics were a client. I met the founders, Peter and Hitesh, and they were incredibly passionate about the mission of Neutromics. We want to make sure that that we're preventing deaths where possible by our, using our device. And there's so many areas we could go into. Yeah. But anyway, they convinced me and I came on board officially um, just over a year ago. But I was working with them as a client for probably 18 months before that. And they weaved their magic and I came on board. And I, I feel incredibly fortunate to work in life sciences. I think any product person that's out there and you know they're, they're using their skills and they're thinking, I love what I'm doing, but there's just maybe a little gap. And healthcare yeah. is the one, the one that really does ignite you because the impacts are on people. And generally, those people are going to be someone you know. So mm-hmm. when All you wake up in the morning, yeah, exactly. You never fail to think, okay, I need I need to do this. Yeah. I, like I said that, I'm, I'm curious for other product managers who are interested in, in the space or interested in getting in there. I mean, what advice would you have for them? Yeah, that's tricky. It's a burgeoning space. It's got so much interest. So I would just mm-hmm. encourage you to get, you know, get yourself involved. I know it's difficult at the minute to yeah. actually go to physical meetups and things, but I got a lot of value from doing that in the early days mm-hmm. where there'd be little communities around um, you know, biohacking or something similar, looking yeah. at a health problem. And there'd be loads of different people there, like software people, hardware people, you know, clinicians and all sorts. And as a product person, that's like fertile ground. You're in the middle of all the stakeholders. You want to work with so going to those sorts of things was really key to building relationships with people talking about the work you've been doing making connections and and then perhaps just having a go yeah and there's so many courses out there as well about being a product manager that use kind of live fire exercises just go and do it 
Well, I, I think that that's awesome. And I know that we're coming to the end here, Rob. I'm curious. Our sign-off question is, if, if you could leave a voicemail that everyone in your industry would hear, what would you say? I was going to joke and say, get a different job, but um, <laughs> no. <laughs> that's short. Yeah. That's a bit fatalistic, Rob. No, no. Um, <laughs> I want to... <laughs> it's this lockdown. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, hey, one more week, you said. One more week. One more week. Yeah. I think the message I would like to leave is just to retain the joy in being wrong. There's mm. nothing better than when you've got an assumption about something and you've identified a possible solution to that. But then you go and do the work where you speak to people and you try and test that assumption. You actually end up being wrong. And I think over time, you can get a little bit jaded with that because as yeah. a product person, you're wrong most of the time. And mm -hmm. if I was to leave a voicemail, I'd say be comfortable with that feeling and try and revel in the joy of finding a different avenue to solve a problem. And the final thing would be active listening. <laughs> When you're speaking to stakeholders, no matter what role they could play yeah. in the product, have your ears open and always, always listen out for those little nuggets, which are often the key to unlock how something can be really valuable. Yeah. I like you said that, Rob. Thank you for, for sharing. I really enjoyed having you on, on the show today. I know yeah, it's thank you. Likewise. Your morning, uh, wishing you a productive day. Uh, please do, do keep in touch. And I'm really excited to kind of watch your, you folks and your progress. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, I love what you guys are doing. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of From Lab to Launch, brought to you by Qualio. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give the show a positive review. It really helps us out. For more information about Qualio, our guest today, or to be a guest on a future episode, please refer to the show notes. Until next time.